it's kind of sad that someone feels like the thing that I spend a majority of my waking hours at doing, commiserating about, I don't feel like is, you know, that meaningful. It's just a paycheck. And what, then, then I'm like, what's the point, right? That's Drew Fortin, founder and CEO of Lover Talent, a unique talent strategy agency that believes individuals make a business, not the other way around. And all business is personal. The essence of business, it's humanity. It's two individuals exchanging value, realizing that together they're much bigger than they are apart. Yet we've lost sight of that in huge corporations and businesses, right? But guess what happens to them? They end up slowing down and they eventually crash and die and another business comes and takes over for them because that's the life cycle of the business as well. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't try and it doesn't mean that you can't have it. How do we create a world in which everyone can pursue meaningful work? What changes will we have to make in our own lives? And how do we nurture human-centered organizations? Welcome to Strategic Momentum. I'm your host, Connie Steele. This season, we're talking to futurists and future-forward thinkers about what the future of work will look like. We spent the last episode considering how technology might shape our lives and careers 10, 20, 50 plus years down the road. Today, we're looking at the skills that will be necessary to navigate and lead in the future that's just over the horizon, if not the present. Drew Fortin thinks the employee-employer relationship is fundamentally broken, but he also thinks for the first time in a long time, there's an opportunity for us to change that and shift the power dynamic between people and the organizations they work within. We talk about what that looks like for leaders, as well as what skills it takes for an individual to navigate an uncertain and winding career. Thanks so much, Drew, for being on the show today. You bet, Connie. Glad to be here. So it'd be great if you could share your career journey and those important milestones that have led you to where you are today. Yeah, so it's funny. I like to um, I like to talk about my resume being from the island of misfit toys. <laughs> That's a great funny. <laughs> yeah, like I went to music school. I went to Berkeley College of Music and uh, majored in music business. And it was right at the time when like Napster came and just absolutely decimated the music industry. But I had stars in my eyes, and you know, my brother and I had a rock band, and we were um, uh, pitching to record labels and at agents and. That was fun. It was actually through that, like probably the first milestone for me. Like there's a, not just obviously the creative element to playing music and performing out, but it made me realize my, my, like the oddity of the entrepreneurial spirit I had with the creative components that, that I had, which led to me getting into um, a professional career in marketing. Um, and so then went and I spent some time in, uh, and uh, retail and e-commerce. I worked at Staples and Staples.com when like Amazon wasn't a thing yet. And Staples.com thought they were like the biggest, you know, web uh, online retailer. Um, learned about search engine optimization at that time. And, you know, I, I would say that was probably the next big milestone for me was I'm a serial like learner. I'm always reading things. Um, learned early on, um, and as you and I have talked, even outside of this podcast, I'm, you know, I'm shameless, right? So, like, I don't mind saying, like, "Hey, I don't know how to do that. Can you teach me how to do that?" And um, you know, being able to 
do that young in my age, I was given things that maybe other people wouldn't have been given. Like at Staples, I was able to lead the first SEO task force there, like when before it was really a thing. And I got to spearhead that. And that led me into working in marketing technology and, and software um, and worked in the uh, software as a service world for a little bit. I spent time at Compete. Um, and then I worked for a company called HubSpot, which most people have have heard of. I was not a cultural fit in HubSpot. HubSpot culture rejected me. And that was such an amazingly, at that time in my life, I was humiliated. I was in my mid twenties. You know, what is, what is happening? Here I am. I was on this tear, but it was probably one of the best things that happened to me because it made me really level set and check in with my values and who I am. Um, and, uh, really make me realize that it's not just about chasing numbers. It's not just about chasing performance. It's about enjoying what I do. And I truly enjoy the journey and don't really, I never, and in my whole life, I'm a goal oriented person, but I don't have an ultimate destination. I look at them as mile markers. Right. And so that's what that taught me. And so my wife at that time, as we were reflecting, we're like, we don't have kids yet. Like, let's try to live somewhere else. Right. We're from uh, the Northeast. So we moved to Southern California for four years and I worked in local media and advertising and went and worked for the California Penny Saver, right? A classified magazine institution, right? And, uh, but talk about a business, you know, delivering to uh, mail every week to 88% of California households, right? 7 million houses. And building um, a digital presence on top of that. And so taking something that had just like this, I call it putting racing stripes on a dinosaur, right? like taking this concept um, of incredible brand affinity and a very outdated distribution model and market and try to transition that uh, in into digital. Um, and that was um, a catalyst moment for me, right? Realizing that, hey, Right. Like I thought myself as like a tech and innovative person, but I love working with people. And the culture there was family. You had people who found their spouses at the penny saver. You had people whose kids were, were working. Um, and it was such an amazing experience for me, but it was also the moment that I realized as my first time being executive management, talk about somebody who's in their late 20s, everyone else is in their 50s and 60s at the executive management table. And they're like, who's this guy? Um, in my head, I'm like, who's this guy? But then I was trying to be all big about it. But that whole experience, we did a lot of restructuring. We got spun off from a public company bought by private equity. I saw what bad private equity looked like. We were literally bled out. And um, there were lawsuits pending for years. And... That was a, it was hard, you know, doing restructures, um, hiring new teams, building new product. But I loved it. I loved it. I loved the mess and I loved the commotion. And my mentor at the time was the CEO. His name's Mike Paulson. He had come up the finance ranks. We couldn't be more different personality wise. And that's when I realized, like, I want to run a company. Right? Like I love all, I love the good stuff. And when the bad stuff's bad, like for me, it's just the world is kind of like slows down when there's so much going on. And it might be odd to say that, but that you love the bad stuff, but like it, it, 
I'm like, okay, we can do this. And I had a knack for it and people and was able to create followership and vision. So that was the pivotal moment for me where I realized like, I do want to lead teams. I do want to lead people and I want to run a business. So setting out my setting out, um, you know, Penny, Penny Saver was sold. The print units were sold off the digital units. The print units were shuttered. The digital units were sold off and had this opportunity to reflect and say, now, what do I want to do? And instead of going and saying, I want to work for a company that does this, I was like, I want to be the CEO. I want to find people. I want to find a CEO who's running a company and go work for them. I want to learn from them. So I set out on this, like, I would say that milestone was when I was like, I want to do an apprenticeship. I don't want to just go and find a job, and, you know, try to weasel my way in some somewhere. It's very smart of you. I mean, to be that introspective and realize what the bigger picture goal is because you've had this opportunity to experiment quite a bit and choose to go broad versus deep to identify what you like, what you don't, what your strengths are, where your areas of interest and passions and and really be able to create this interesting hybridization um, because you've had this open-mindedness and really passion to learn. So I love that this draw towards the creativity aspect, the analytical piece of it, um, the people side of it, like you just knew that the ultimate role had to be multidimensional and multifaceted in many ways because all of that, the good, the bad, the ugly was something that really drew you to it. But I mean, very smart that when you set your goal, you knew that there's still things to learn and identifying that apprenticeship path was the next piece. So I just want to bring that up because I think to summarize it for people, many don't have that set linear career structure and that being able to play to some degree and learn about yourself is so much about finding your fit ultimately. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And and what it's led me to is, you know, that moment when I was like, I want to set out an apprenticeship was over eight years ago. And that changed my life because I found a job that at first I've made sure that I, I was with people that I was, I say, dating up, people I admire, I want to hang out with, who I feel have accomplished much more than me, who are better than me in many ways. And that moment was when I joined this company called PI Worldwide, which is now the Predictive Index. And PI, the Predictive Index or PI offers behavioral, uh, at that time was a behavioral assessment company, right? The power of behavioral understanding. So here I'm working at this company that allows you to learn about yourself and others I was running marketing at that time. Um, I, I made my way up to chief growth officer there and trans- it charted with the transformation of the company internally to take us out of the headspace of we're a behavioral assessment platform to we're a talent optimization software. My job, I read business books for fun, right? Like that was work. Like I could, anything I read, any strategy framework, any business framework, I could try it on my own team in this company, but it would also be part of our marketing and our value prop, right? And and, and so it was really magical. Um, and I'm just so grateful for that opportunity. And now that's led me to where I'm at today, which is founder and CEO at Lever Talent. We're a talent strategy agency. And ultimately, my time over the last few years has made me realize that 
many of us shy away from stating what we want. But it's pretty amazing when you state what you want and you state what you want, the world will come out and help you. I think that's beautifully said. And I was going to ask then, in what way has this interesting combination of roles, experience, skills, passions, hobbies, this career mashup, as I like to call it, that you've acquired over the years has helped shape the way you approach what you do today at Lever Talent. And also, how do you feel it's helped you professionally and personally? Sure. My mashup, I think, has, we can't be great at everything. My experiences and, you know, definitely well over the last decade reporting, being part of the C-suite and then reporting to to the C-suite, realizing that there are many different types of leaders and you can't be a great leader in every situation. It's the right moment, right place, right type of opportunity with your superpowers is an amazing thing. My superpower Really, I, I hang out, you know, um, I hang out in the vision space. I love to think into the future. I love to think about what could be. I love to generally understand concepts and be like, oh my gosh, if we could just use, you know, take something old and make it new again, that like, that's what is happening in our world. That's, that cycle just keeps going. The cycle of innovation. It's there's nothing truly new. It's just a, you know, an, an innovation or a renaissance something else. And so like, that's my sweet spot. I love that. And so that's where I want to hang. That's where I want to be. And that is actually the tool that I use a lot. And when I, when I find instances where, where this tool isn't going to work for me now as an entrepreneur, I'm not going to work on those. I'm not going to work in those areas. I need to play in this space and I need to build a team around me that is going to complement that. So that's definitely how I'm using it. Well, so let's talk about this superpower of thinking into the future, um, particularly from the people standpoint, because I know you're quite passionate about it. And, you know, I know you're a passionate growth leader who believes people are more capable of more than they could ever imagine. So you're really about helping people reach their potential. But there's this other side, and you're also a technologist. You've been in technology. You're passionate about that, too. And we know there's this ongoing debate uh, towards whether or not advanced robotics, deep automation, is going to take jobs away. Yeah. <laughs> As someone who man, is a futurist, too, what's your take and why? Yeah. Now, first off, I consider myself to be a lay person in, in the, the, the implementation of the technologies. I'm very much a generalist. I feel like I have a strong understanding about how these things can work together. Um, and you're absolutely right. I realize that creating plans, hitting numbers, that's one thing. Really, what gets me out of bed every day is helping others realize they're capable of much more than they could ever think. That is just amazing energy. And so that's where I want to put myself. And that's what we're where that's even the mission of Lever Talent. And the name Lever Talent is an homage to exactly what what we're talking about. The employer-employee relationship is broken. And technology, I think a lot of people point at it as one of the catalysts for breaking it, right? Because we have this data and it's, it's all about operating the company and a person needs to fit in 
in the gears, right? The cog in the wheel, like it just has to work, right? And if you don't want to work here, someone else will come in here, right? That's the old way of thinking. That's the old way of work because we were all making trinkets and doodads and, and it was like literally a human was part of that process. Well, now we're in a world of intangibles, software, social media. Every business has technology, the internet of things, right? And more and more, we're relying on humans for their unique human abilities, their brain, right? Making decisions based off of disparate data sets um, where we're looking for their ability for interpersonal dynamics, interpersonal relationships, right? Being able to do all the complex things that subjective things that machines will never be able to truly do, right? So contrary to popular belief, the robots are not taking our job. They're freeing us up to do more meaningful work. And just like anything else that changes or anything else that trends day in, day out, week in, week out, we have highs, we have lows, right? We're all excited about chat GPT. And now we're like, oh my God, it's going to kill all of marketing, right? And then, you know, I just saw someone post the other day, like, we're going to have a head of AI marketing, right? And it's like all the marketers are like, they're going to take my job, right? So in technology allows us to scale our abilities, right? So taking chat GPT as an example, that's what it's allowing marketers to do. You can literally say, write me a, a, a five paragraph blog post on this topic. You're going to get something that's 70, 75% of the way there. And now you need to look at it and be like, is this how we want to position it? Should me, what are we going to reference in this? What are we going to link to? What do we want it to truly convey? That's like the last mile service, but it's also the most important. It's the creative component that the machine won't be able to do. And it's also this making the uh, strategic decisions based off of disparate data sets that machines can't, that humans are going to be able to do as well. So we will be, it will be freeing us, the royal us up to do more meaningful work. And as technology proliferates, you know, people say it's, it's going to it, it require less humans to be involved in the business. Every time we've had an advancement, computers was the same thing, right? Thought the computers were going to, you know, no, really what it means is we're going to use humans have always done this, our ingenuity, our creativity, we will find something else for us to create value with, right? For us to do that will create more value. Um, so I, I think it's going to be amazing. And I also think that this shift is going to allow us because we're relying more on humans to do the more human things. It's finally going to create a forcing function. As a society in work, we are woefully inequipped to measure performance. Definitely agree with that. I think there are so many points to um, peel back and dive deeper into because your point about how robots are going to free us up to do more meaningful work. Human ingenuity is going to be so key. And interestingly enough, we had a recent podcast with a guest who has a PhD in this. His, his uh, organization, his company is all about solving wicked problems with human ingenuity. And he believes that is so key to be able to unleash true innovation and progress. And it is the ability to leverage that power of the human mind, simple, clever, inventive thinking. Um, but when you can pull together diversity of thought, that's when you can really uh, create that amazing momentum. But I want to go back to this point again about how 
humans will be able, will be free to do more meaningful work. You and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago about um, how you had spoken to a leader who didn't believe in such thing as meaningful work. We obviously both disagree because in the research that we've done, that was one of the top career goals that people have said, and it has a very strong relationship with the satisfaction with one's career progress. I'd love to, I'd love for you to share a little bit more about that conversation. And why do you think this person believes there isn't such thing as meaningful work? Yeah. So we were, you're making reference to, I had a chat dialogue with someone on social media um, who is an influencer in the, in the tight HR spaces and, you know, just said like, Hey, we should chat. I believe that this, this whole concept of robots and, and, and automation is going to, you know, free us up to do more meaningful work. And, you know, you're chatting with all these other HR professionals about that and would love to hear your perspective. And it was an immediate, like, Drew, I don't believe meaningful work exists. And I, it could have just been like, okay, cool. Talk to you later. I was like, I, I'm sorry you feel that way. Right. Um, it's definitely a mindset. And the, the response back was, well, you know, there's so much corporate greed. There's so much from a capitalist society standpoint that their incentives aren't there to care about the people. Right. So there is, I don't believe in meaningful work. I believe that work can be better. I believe that you can have work life balance. Right. But I don't think that our quest should be to find meaning. And that's a perspective. I appreciate perspectives as they make me think, right? And it made me think for a second. I was like, am I? No, I still disagree, right? I- <laughs> right. He's challenging you. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that helps all of us make sure that we are looking at a particular point of view and a, and a open being open and, and trying to address it very holistically because everyone's point may be valid. It's just trying to understand where it comes from. That's absolutely right. And so when we think about that, though, this mindset exists. And this mindset's being perpetuated in many places. Now, I also think, and you and I have talked about this too, Connie, there, there are generational components to this. And so I was, just, I was talking with someone else the other day, just kind of like t- tying, tying this together. And they were, they were essentially like, Drew, there's a certain portion of the work population that has to die out of business before we can carry, right? Like there's almost this general understanding of we cannot go any faster because it's evolution and life cycles are playing out. And I think, you know, that's really important. That's really important to, to understand and know it's kind of sad that someone feels like the thing that I spend majority of my waking hours at doing commiserating about, I don't feel like is, you know, that meaningful. It's just a paycheck. And what then, then I'm like, what's the point? Right. And if you go back to it, Connie, you know, this too, like the essence of business, it's humanity. It's two individuals exchanging value, realizing that together they're much bigger than they are apart. 100%. Yet we've lost sight of that in huge corporations and businesses, right? And, and that is true. 
businesses get to a point where they're so bloated, they're so big, it's just a machine. But guess what happens to them? They end up slowing down and they eventually crash and die. And another business comes and takes over for them because that's the life cycle of the business as well, right? It doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. And it doesn't mean that you can't have it. And I think this whole concept of the evolution of technology and the proliferation of it is only going to remind us more and more that this is our career. This isn't my job. I'm at a job, but I'm not going to be at this company my whole life. What do I want? And what am I good at, right? And if we can align ourselves with people that also care about us and say, hey, Connie, what are you good at? Oh, you're good at this. I want to give you more of this work. Oh, you're good at that. Oh, you, you're really being great at this new, new thing. We don't have that capability. Let's talk about what the future looks like for you. Maybe it's not here. Maybe it's somewhere else, right? It's all in helping each other. Like that does exist. It's happening. You and I are doing it, right? And I just think it's going to happen more. Agree. And so much of, you know, what I talk about, we are very much in alignment where the future is about building the business of you for a reason. You are now a product and service on the web, whether you like it or not. So it's so important for you to understand what you want, what you're about, what value you bring to the table. And there has been this movement and mindset to be better, do better have an impact in the world. And that is generational. And that is something that is ingrained in those that are entering the workforce and growing and developing in the workforce. And you see it actually realized in these different types of business structures, B corporations, conscious businesses, sustainable businesses, the business roundtable has integrated purpose as part of their manifesto, right? So it's there. It hasn't become fully ubiquitous yet, but you see the momentum out there where people realize that just focusing on those metrics, the traditional metrics are not enough when the world, the life, like society, climate, all of that is truly integrated, then how do we look at things in a much more holistic fashion? So, you know, when I think of also this future of work and these implications, so again, you talk about, it's about meaning, right? How does that translate though? So, okay, it's more meaning. What does that look like in terms of the kinds of skills people will need to develop? to ensure that they're tapping into doing meaningful work, but how that translates into a positive contribution to society at large or whatever cause they believe is critically important? Yes. Excellent question. Going back to humans, right? As humans, what do we yearn for? We yearn to find work that aligns with our values. And we want to be with people who share them. That's what we would yearn to do. Even outside of work, you go and you, you know, you're going out to eat somewhere. It's all about affinity, right? It's all about having the values and being with others who share them. And work is no different, right? So I think it's really important that we start there. Now, when we think about skills and what skills and competencies are going to be more celebrated, well, 
if the robots and the machines and the technology is doing a lot of the heavy lifting from a transactional component, all the transactional stuff in business, well, then the opposite end of a continuum that has, you have transactional at one end, relational is on the other. So you can think about it as social relationships. You can think about it as data relationships. You can think about it as relationships between teams, between team members, between companies. That's what humans are great at. So I think regardless, it's going to be something that is going to be a synonym, regardless of what role you in with, with those connections, with fostering, maintaining and strengthening those relationships. Right. And that's kind of what we're seeing. It's funny enough. And like BI roles, business intelligence roles, which are taking the disparate data sets. And for the last like 10 years, the BI world's like, did you know you should tell a story with your data? Right. Cause it's like, once you start to make the relationships between the data, it's like, wow, you bring this data to life. Yeah. Now the data can actually use. Right. So it, it's, it's all about relationships. I think regardless of the role, you're going to find that that is going to be one of the, the, the most prized commodities. And then the other is understanding ourselves enough. Some people are intuitively good at toning back their own drives and needs to move a situation forward. Most of us are not. And so I think self-awareness, super important. It's super important for our mental health too. When we know like, oh, why am I thinking that? I'm probably thinking that because I typically have anxiety about this thing, right? Why am I getting nervous when I'm, you know, speaking in front of people? It's probably because my high level of extroversion means that I'm super concerned about what people think of me, right? Like that, that's okay. And once you can state it, once you know it, your body relaxes because of it. The same thing happens when you're in relationships. Oh, why are they doing that? Oh, well, now that I know, if I know enough about them and I can understand them behaviorally, right? Oh, that's probably why they're doing that. Cool. We don't have to like conflict about that. We can actually get down to business and, and move forward. And if humans are going to be interacting more with other humans because the work we're going to be hired to do is more human, right? That's only going to become that much more important, right? And I'm going to say again, regardless of the role you're in in the org, whether you work in manufacturing or you work in software development or you work in marketing, right? It's all about relationships. Completely agree. To your point about relationships and that being a core focus. I translate that into very specific skills around communication. The whole point of collaboration. I mean, you had a great example. So somebody who is in business intelligence or someone who is just dealing with a lot of data, a researcher, it's not just the data. It is, you're right, the story. So they, in order for others to fully understand the power of the data, and the impact it can have on establishing the right decision-making going forward, the individual has to know how to effectively convey what it's saying and be able to think in a strategic fashion, not just saying data's up, data's down, data has this percentage, but understand how to connect what the story is to the object, the goals and objectives of the company and how does it move it forward? But inevitably to pull the data together to be able to convey what's needed, you have to make sure that you work with others to subsequently implement the valuable information that you have because there's one thing, okay, 
data is great. You communicate what it says, but it goes nowhere if you can't work with others to make it happen. And your other point too of knowing thyself, right? It's getting to the why (laughs) behind the what in terms of how you're feeling. But I'm in 100% agreement that the specific soft skills individuals will need to develop. And you see that also being written up quite a bit now, right? In many HR publications or, or those writing about career development, those around emotional intelligence, really being able to understand, you know, that social awareness, personal awareness, social competence, and so forth, for persuasion, influence, again, which ties to that relational piece, is so critical because if we're moving in a world where low code, no code, (laughs) you still have to work with people because we're all in the business of people. That's absolutely right. If you think about like the era of computing, right? And then we got into the era of the internet and programming is a very introspective, like to myself thing, right? This is, it's like, it, it is just cyclical, right? We're getting, we're now technology's pushing us to a point, right? Where it'll be due. And then the latest innovations will be what exactly what we're talking about, which will be us interacting with each other more, as you said, persuading, influencing, crafting that vision, crafting that strategy, making it compelling. Because if we can't add that layer, then it's all going to be the same because technology has commoditized it all. Completely agree. What other specific skills do you feel um, from a soft skills perspective that will be more and more of a prioritization for people to really think about or start building towards? Because as we know, Many people like that checklist or like, what should I do? So help me understand if it's, is it this one? Is it this one? And would love to hear what your thoughts are on that front, given, you know, you're a talent strategy agency and you're probably getting questions like that. So where do we prioritize or what sort of the training people may need? So would love your point of view. Yeah. So some of us are really good at talking and not putting pen to paper. Some of us are good at drawing a schematic but not make, not being able to turn it into art, right? So I, I do think that you, your, everyone's checklist is going to change a little bit. But the way that I would think about it is in this way. First off, I think that, you know, if somebody were to ask me, like, what do you think is like the one trait that, uh, er, like the most underrated leadership trait? The most underrated leadership trait, in my view, is vulnerability. I don't know. Or I've never done that before. Or when I do that, this breaks, right? Being able to say those things, I mean, like, I don't know why, right? Or I need help. That is needed across the board. I don't care if you're in leadership or not. I think vulnerability is super important, which means you need to have a level of trust in the people that you're with. So make that trust. Don't say, oh, I don't trust these people. If you can't trust the people that you're working with every day, go work somewhere else, right? Like, or try to make a change, right? That's, that's super important. Then next, I would say is we need the ability because now we learn through the pandemic. Can you think about the, just the amount of written chat data that has been collected? The amount we've just written like a hundred page book every day in Slack messages or Microsoft team messages, right? Conveying tone in text is so hard. 
So I think it's important not, you need to know how to write succinctly, right? And get the facts across. And then you need to know how to speak succinctly and get facts across. But you also need to know the opposite, which is like, when do you add the flourish? When do you ask the question? Right. So I, I, I think communication is super important, both written, uh, verbal and then presentation skills, I think are, are the areas that, that people need. I think that many more, much more structure is needed, um, when it, when it comes to the, um, the practicing of team leadership, of project leadership. There are all these different frameworks out there. And I think that we need to see a lot more like standardization and uh, trimming down, right? To be like, I follow this standard, like this is what I use, right? We're seeing this happen with OKRs, right? Um, OKRs have been around since the 60s, really. But they're getting the most use they ever have now because people are like, oh, God, people are everywhere. How do we actually work together and what are we working towards? And, you know, this is a very simple, simple schematic. I think we need much, much more of that. Beyond that, I think that we need to really understand how to give feedback, when to give feedback, and probably most importantly, how to receive feedback. I think that's a great one. (laughs) Because I think... This element, like, do you tell someone that it wasn't good? I, I love our talent. When in our leadership training, we practice the concept of feed forward, right? Like, instead of being like, I wouldn't have done it that way. Hey, Connie, the next time you do that, have, would you consider trying this? Right? Like, let's think about your next try. Let's not, you know, always focus on the bad and then you go try again and bring back, is this what you want? Is this, is this what you want? You're going to have much more evolution. You're going to have much more people leaning forward, making progress together. So I think giving feed, feedback is, is really good. And then when we get to like management, we don't know how to delegate. And ultimately what we're trying to do in business is increase the velocity of good decision-making that creates growth. But many of our leaders are bottlenecks for decisions. So growth is capped by how many leaders there are and only how many decisions that, that they can make. The more that we can trust in our people, the more that we can create um, frameworks like corporate values, like vision, like mission, we're going to be able to disseminate good decision making and increase the velocity of those decisions being made, which is going to therefore increase growth, which is going to increase engagement and purpose and all these other things, right? And so I, I think that is definitely the catalyst is learning how to delegate, when to delegate um, is something that's really important. And I don't think it just goes up and down. I think it goes across as well, right? Is realizing like if I'm paid to do a job or paid to do something, that doesn't mean you have to do it all. You're more likely paid to be accountable for a job, which means that you can use the resources around you, including people to get things done and to make progress. And I don't think we all, know how to do that, or we don't really practice that much, right? So there's like, everything I'm talking to you about is like humans, communication, giving feedback. Back to basics, actually, is the way I look at it, right? So which we've lost, yeah. I think, some of that in light of um, the rapid growth of technology. And given technology has enabled us to be more productive and efficient, I think, unfortunately, it's also force the expectation of greater productivity and efficiency. Um, unfortunately, at the expense of taking away some of the things that make us human and be able to kind of leverage the best that we can be, it seems that we really need to go back to focusing on those aspects. 
particularly in light of what's happened over the past couple of years, because folks have lost a bit of those um, skills and don't feel as connected to one another. And we know that if there isn't that sense of belonging, it's going to be hard to create ultimately the kind of culture that you want in an organization. Um, But if folks are in touch with who they are personally and what they want, it's going to be challenging for them to be able to clearly move forward in a way that aligns their own mission, vision, values, purpose with wherever it is they want to work at. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And I would say to your point, like of getting back, I almost look at it as we never really had it in business and we were together. And as humans, we naturally observe, we're good at heuristics, right? We observe behavior. We're pretty good at reading, right? And when you take that away, when you put a camera in front of you, when you put chat on, when you have more automation happening and you're not as involved in the process, right? It actually makes us realize like, whoa, we really weren't that great at it. We were good at together with, with it. But in this new world, that's not how it's going to be, right? And so I, I just look at it as it's furthering. It's just business evolving even more and becoming more human. I don't think business was any... Uh, it Actually, I don't think it was more human before the pandemic. I just think more humans were together, but it wasn't more human. We're more human now, I think, because we're actually talking about this now. We wouldn't have talked about this. Absolutely. So to close, I have a few more questions for you. Sure. So what would you say your definition of success is today? And how has it evolved from when you started your entrepreneurial journey? Do you mean like career success or? It could be career. It could be life. It could be. How would you define success? This is a great thing. I would define, well, do I feel rich in life and am I happy and am I grateful? And do I get up every day and like what I do? Yes. So that's success to me. I think that perception is reality. And I think that one of the things all humans we were born with, unfortunately, or fortunately, depends on how you look at it. What makes humans humans is anxiety. And so I think we're all managing our anxieties. And I think that the more that we become comfortable with who we are, and the more that we, and that is also admitting what we want in life and, and working towards what we want in life. And as long as we feel like we're, we're making those strides and we're with the people we love to be around, it's going to be success. Uh, I don't think that, I think money is ultimately attempting to be, it's the measure of value exchange in the world. But that is, as we all know, not success in, in, or happiness in many ways for lots of people. And so I, I do think it's like finding your purpose. And I love this new era, right? Is like finding your meaning, finding your purpose is going to lead to just happier people. Um, and not just, I want to be rich. I want to be like in money. I want to be rich in happiness and family. Um, and, um, I think you can get that in work and career too. And what's the best work or career advice you've ever received? So that's just a great one. What's interesting is we had, when I used to play music, we had an, an agent and he had represented some pretty big talent. We never made it anywhere. It's because we were mediocre at best, but he obviously saw something in us to, to, to represent us. But he, 
he would point out like the littlest details. He would be like, you know, you need to wear something different. He was once where he even told me like Drew, and I still need to. He's like, you need to probably lose like five five pounds. I'm like, why not? Why is he telling me this? Like, I don't really care. But then he would always say, you need to control everything that's in your control. Because in this industry, people think it's all luck and it's not, right? Like you control everything in your control. So when that moment comes, which is viewed as the lucky moment, you have the best chances of success of catching that, right? And that's something that has always stuck with me is there's so much in our control that we don't realize that we can control. Just like when I, when I say like, it's always good to have goals. I have my own personal development plan. This is what I want to be over the next five years, 10 years. When you state that, when you put it out there in the world, even if it's just to yourself, it's amazing how it seems to happen, how you seem to make that progress. And that's because you're just inherently controlling all those things consciously or subconsciously to make it happen. And finally, what's the best way listeners can connect with you? Oh, absolutely. Um, You can find me on, you can find Drew Fortin on LinkedIn. You can also just email Drew at levertalent.com. We're a talent strategy agency. We help businesses everywhere. By the way, our vision, our vision is to eventually get in, get into the world of helping people, right? Representing people for to business, right? Instead of people applying to businesses and businesses having all the leverage, actually being that partner with the individual to help manage, manage their, their career. We'll talk about that some other time, but that is, (laughs) that is. That is where the world is going. We're not there yet as a society, but that's that's the ultimate dream of Love, Love, or Talent, all about the individual. Well, that person is then building the business of themselves, right? <laughs> Ultimately. Full circle. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. You provided such insightful perspective on really where this future of work is going, which is grounded in meaning. And being able to free ourselves up to do that kind of work that enables us to be rich in life at the end of the day. So thank you. Thank you, Connie. I appreciate all the work you do. I really loved your story because he doesn't sugarcoat the winding turns, the times he felt lost, the times he just didn't quite fit. But it was going through all of this, learning about what he really wants and likes to do learning how to navigate uncertainty that ultimately helped him find the right path. Drew figured out that he could create just about any life he wanted if he focused on his own personal development. And now he's endeavoring to help others cultivate these soft skills as well. The skills that Drew believes set him up to succeed in the future of work. And I don't have any doubt we can make the future of work Drew dreams of into a reality. But like we talked about in the last episode, we have to be intentional about it because right now there are organizations that want to replace their workers with AI powered solutions. So if we want to ensure everyone has a chance to thrive in the future, we need to be human centered leaders. We're in the business of people and we need to learn how to best support them. I love Drew's vision for Lever Talent representing individuals to help them gain more leverage when they're looking for the next step in their career. The new advances in technology looming on the horizon can enrich our lives, but we're going to need to work together to make that happen. I'm Connie Steele, 
and you've been listening to the Strategic Momentum Podcast. If you'd like to find out how I can help you or your company create the necessary momentum to succeed in the new world of work, please visit my website at ConnieWSteel.com. There, you can learn more about my consulting services and research studies, as well as additional resources for building the business of you. These resources include my book, Building the Business of You, and an online curriculum designed to help anyone who's looking to make a career change, but isn't quite sure where to start. Because you're a listener of the podcast, you can get 50% off the course by using the code podcast at checkout. To connect with me, go to LinkedIn or Twitter and search for Connie W. Steele, or you can find me on Instagram at Connie Wang Steele. And if you've liked what you heard, please follow the show and share this episode with friends and colleagues. You can also get show notes, links, and more advice from this episode at ConnieWSteel.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and we're looking forward to helping you create the necessary momentum in your work and life so you can continue to build the business of you.